Amy's mom died when Amy was a senior in college. She had a brain aneurysm, and Amy and her brother never got the chance to say goodbye as she died unexpectedly. Amy feels like she lost her mom and her dad at the same time. During the recording, you'll notice that Amy's dog joins her, and you can hear him in the background. I was thrown off by it when I listened to the recording again before releasing, so just thought I would let you in on that part. If you are enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review. I'd really appreciate it. And now, Amy's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have with me Amy, which immediately makes me feel warm and fuzzy because that's my sister's name. So um, I immediately am like, ah, Amy. uh, I always uh, will find happiness in saying that name. So welcome, Amy. We appreciate you being here today. Um, I'm going to turn the mic over to Amy and let her share her story. And then I'll be back with a couple questions at the end. So thanks so much for being here, Amy. You're welcome. Um, My story begins um, 32 years ago. I was 21 um, years old. I was a senior in college, home for the holidays between semesters. Uh, and my mom suddenly on a Saturday, no, yep, Saturday morning, um, developed a really bad migraine headache. And she had had headaches all through her adulthood as I knew her. Um, but this particular headache was um, stronger than anything she had ever felt before. And she felt that it was definitely something that she wanted to get checked out. This was 1991, um, and so I drove her to the emergency room. When we got to the emergency room, the people in the emergency room said, okay, this probably is, you know, related to the headaches that you usually get. It's probably a a migraine of a, you know, a higher degree. We're going to give you some um, pain medication, just rest here, you know, Um, and then to me, they said, you know, just come back in a couple hours and see how she's doing. So my parents owned a business together. They owned a little country store in Litchfield County, Connecticut. And so my dad was working. And so I went back and I picked up my mom and uh, they didn't run any tests at that time. They just gave her the medicine and the headache, maybe, I don't know that it improved, but she wanted to get out of there. So um I brought her home. She laid on the couch and rested and the headache sort of, you know, kind of lingered. It was very, very painful. Uh, And the next time that she medically addressed the headache was um, that following Wednesday. Um, My parents were off from work. My dad took her to her general practitioner, who then immediately then sent her back to the hospital. And at that time, they did um, um, MRI, and they also did um, a spinal tap. And it turned out that she had um, a brain aneurysm because she had blood in her brain. It showed on the MRI, and she also had blood in her spinal fluid at the same time. This was in January um, of 1991. And um, and that particular day, there was a storm. So normally they would have flown her by Lifestar to Hartford, which is our capital city where their big hospitals are. Um, but because of the weather, they couldn't. So they drove her by ambulance. 
So she got to the hospital and by this time now she's having a slow bleed of an aneurysm. Normally when people have aneurysms, they either blow out right away and the person is incapacitated um, or you can have a slow bleed. So she started off with a slow bleed. And by the time she got to Hartford Hospital, which was now Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, four days later, um, her brain was very aggravated, swollen from the blood that had been pooling in, you know, in her in her head. So the doctor said that they really needed to have the the area clot and the blood the brain settle down, and um, then they could possibly do surgery. So that was the plan. And I so my mom went into the hospital. She stayed there. I saw her one time while she was in the hospital. Um, I went in, I remember the room was very dark, the lights were off because the light was really bothering her eyes, she had like a washcloth covering her eyes, um, and we just both immediately started crying, my brother was with me, I have a, a brother that's two years younger, and so we did not go back again because it was so upsetting for her and for us, you know, my dad, the doctors thought that, you know, they thought we were going to have a positive outcome and that, you know, we would see her maybe after she had surgery. Um, so by Friday, uh, my dad was going to the hospital every day and Friday night, my brother and I were home and my aunt was over with us. And um, I think she knew um, what was going on. And my dad came in and he told us that my mom had died that she the the clotting did not work and that the um that the actual area had just then blown out it um uh so at that point she was brain dead and so that we and uh the hospital had to wait 24 hours so she was on life support for 24 hours and then um on saturday january 19th they um, pulled the plug on her and she was officially passed away, which was very, very difficult. So my father came home on that Friday and told us that that was what was going to happen. And we were just devastated because that's not what we thought the plan was. You know, I mean, I was 21. My brother was 19. Our, our mom was the hub of our family. My dad was like, the, on the periphery, my mom always managed everything in our house, you know, managed our family. So this was a, a definite blow to our family. My mom was 40 years old. So she got married very young. My She and my dad got married when she was 18 and my dad was 20. Um, she had me at 19. She had my brother at 21 and then had this life up until she was 40 years old. So she at 40 had a 21 year old and a 19 year old. Um, and I, you know what, I thank God for that, because I can't imagine having to go through that as a as a younger child, it, it's difficult enough for me at the age that I was to have that happen. And so for younger children, it, it just has to be just even more devastating than it was for me. But I don't know. Um, my father did not know how to handle that. As I said, my mom really was the, the boss of the family and um, he did not know how to handle it. Um, he 
didn't think that we needed to do any kind of therapy or anything like that after she passed away. Um, I actually went back to college. I was in between semesters. My dad's motto is like, you know, we just have to keep moving on. Just go on. You know, you're going to be fine. Go on. So I went back to college and uh, finished out the semester. Um, but then I, I never went back home again because, you know, my mom wasn't there. My mom was I always called her my best friend. I mean, she was just 19 years older than me. So it was like, you know, an older sister, uh, you know, a mom that I was very close with. And she is someone that I have tried to emulate, but never could. Um, she was so, she was a gifted baker and cook. She was amazing with, um, crocheting and cross stitch and quilting and uh, I mean did all of these things and I've tried to do many of the things that she did um and I I just can't my patience isn't there I'm not I'm not as patient as as she was um and she was excellent at all of those things and I'm so lucky that I have many of the things that she made many of her cross stitch um artistry that she made. I have a quilt on my bed that she gave me when I was 16 years old. Um, I have tried to make her cinnamon bun recipe and it just has not, it's not the same. It's been very difficult. Um, and I have to say, even 32 years later, I still have this amazing hole in my heart for my mom. I can be talking with um, my aunts in particular, my mom's sisters, and I'll just start crying because just talking to them and they know knew her and she was the youngest of her four siblings and her mother was alive when she died. Her other siblings were alive. And because of the circumstances of how she passed away, I think my dad believed, we believed that she was going to get better. So they kept saying, should we come up from Pennsylvania to, to see her? And my dad's like, no, no, I think she, she's going to be getting better. So, you know, you don't need to, you know, and then this happened. Um, and so I think they felt, you know, just in conversations that I've had with my aunts after the many years after, you know, they felt like they wish they had seen her, um, obviously you know, they didn't get to say goodbye. And I didn't get to say goodbye either. Um, you know, because, you know, we didn't go back to see her in the hospital. I didn't see her. Uh, she, she and my father both chose cremation as their, um, you know, as their wishes for, you know, a funeral. Um, so I really lack closure in her passing which was really difficult. And so for years, I kept thinking that she's just, she's gone somewhere. She's just somewhere, she's somewhere and she's going to come back to me. And she's, she's, I, she's, she's just left. I don't know where she's gone, but she, you know, I have no evidence. I have no concrete evidence that she is dead and she's going to come back. And so, um, so that was my train of thinking for a long, long time. Um, my dad was, um, sadly, not very helpful in the mourning process, which which was hard. Um, my brother ended up staying, coming out of college and staying with my dad. 
Um, and, and then I went back just because I had half a semester left. And then, as I said, I never went home after that. I got a job as a teacher and moved to another part of the state. And um, I feel also at the same time, when my mom passed, my dad did too, because he he changed dramatically. Um, he was not the same person that I knew. Um, and very quickly after my mom passed, my dad was, um, I would say probably two to three months, um, someone, a woman was, you know, looking to, you know, become friends with him and, you know, and he, he sort of latched right onto that. I mean, he was, um, his own mother died when he was seven. And so he was raised by his grandparents. And then from his grandparents' house, he married my mom. So he was never really on his own. So with my mom's passing, he was on his own and he was on his own with two kids, you know, running a business and running a household. And, you know, he was just really stressed out. So this woman comes into this onto the scene and they ultimately get married and she doesn't want anything to do with us. And she doesn't want my dad to remember my mom at all. She feels very much threatened by my mom who is, is not alive. <laughs> and so um, that created a, another divi a, another loss for me because my dad you know, said to me at one point, don't make me choose between you and her because I will choose her. And that was very, that was heartbreaking. So, um, so in a sense, I had two losses pretty much at the same time, which was sad. And, you know, it took me a while to realize that um, because I kept trying with my dad and my dad would occasionally you know, we'd have to sneak into um, another part of the house to call us or call me, or he'd call me from his job or something like that, which was, which was sad and, and unfortunate. But um, going back to my mom, um, my mom had these gold hoop earrings that she wore. Um, and so as part of like, when my dad got her ashes, he put them in this um, stream that they always used to go sit by and he put the earrings in the ashes and he didn't include us in that sort of, yeah, in the, um, yeah, in the going down, you know, having her ashes go down this stream and, you know, a pair of her earrings as well. And so we were not included in that um, sort of closing um, part of, you know, her passing. And so that was very difficult as well. I keep saying very difficult. It's just a whole very difficult situation. Um, but I do remember uh, watching one of your, uh, or seeing something on, you know, the Instagram page and one of the um, other podcasts is, you know, signs. Do you get signs from, immediately I started getting signs from my mom about, you know, I'm still here, I'm around. And um, I would just start seeing her initials everywhere um, on license plates, or I would go into a store and I would see um, her name um, on, you know, paper, you know, that has 
people's names on it or, uh, you know, uh, little license plates or keychains, And, you know, it just, you know, would pop up all over the place. And I'm like, I know, you, I know she's here. She's watching out for me. So that was really comforting. And I, even to this day, when I see Cardinals and all of, I, I, um, I always say, I know you're there. Um, and so, uh, while I, um, and jumping forward, I got married, I had a son, I got my master's degree, I graduated from college, and my mom was not there for those things. And it was um, a big piece was missing from all those great experiences that I had in in my life and that I continue to have. I, you know, I so wish my mom could have met my husband and, you know, held my baby and, you know, been there with me to, um, when I first came home from the hospital, I didn't have anyone. And, um, so, and I know so much she would, she would love him and, um, and my husband too. Um, but, uh, especially my son, he's just, just a doll. Um, my dad did get to meet my son, but he only saw him a couple of times uh, because my dad passed away in when my son was two years old in 2000. Um, so uh, nine years after my mom died and he was 52. Um, so there was a lot of just tragedy surrounding them. My dad died of a heart attack just um one morning getting coffee and then he, he just had a heart attack and died um, with his, you know, in the house with his new wife. And um, he didn't pass away immediately either, but um, I was able to get to the hospital and his new, his wife was there and um, they were checking him or monitoring him or something. And they asked us to leave. And while we were in the waiting area, he had another massive heart attack and died right there. So she says to me, my stepmother says, I can't believe this is happening to you again. And I'm like, yep, yep, it is. It's happening again. And so that was really difficult. And, and then the process of going through my dad's and my mom's furniture and all of that with her um, after my dad passed away. And so what was theirs in common and what was my parents in common? And so my brother and I had to go through and inventory all the whole house and um, for probate purposes, but we got that all worked out. Um, the other thing that is really, um, tragic is that my brother is completely closed off. So I'm a teacher and I know this information about, you know, brain formation. And so when kids are growing up and especially in boys, they're, you know, their brains aren't fully developed until they're 25 years old. And so a lot of things when tragedy or they have some sort of trauma before that age, it can really impact them. And my brother was only 19 at the time. And my mom had already, had already been through that tumultuous teenage stuff. And we were over that. And we were back to like hanging out and, you know, being great friends and shopping and all of that. But my brother was right in the midst of that with her. 
and and then she died. And so he has a lot of stuff about it. And the we don't talk about it. And and we don't really talk about much. He's not very open. Um, he's not as close as you would think that two, we are not as close as you would think that two people would be who lost a parent. And, you know, I would love to have, you know, in-depth conversation with him about the whole scenario, but um, he won't, he, he doesn't really want to talk about it. And, um, and that's fine. That's just his coping mechanism. Um, but he did call me this year um, on January 19th just to let me know. So um, so he knows, but he just doesn't want to get too deep with it. Um, one thing that did come out of my mom's passing is I developed severe anxiety and, de well, there was some de major depression there too, but the anxiety has lasted my whole 32 years without my mom. I what I worried constantly at first that I was going to die next. You know, if she could die, if this could happen in such uh, you know, so quickly and out of the blue, well then surely something like this could happen to me. And so I started this entirely out of control cycle of the anxiety causing all these physical symptoms in me that were results of the anxiety that I would then go to the doctor and the doctor's like, so is there anything going on in your life? And I'm like, well, my mom died. And they're like, well, yeah, so you have some anxiety and that's what's causing these symptoms. So it would just go round and round and round. And because I didn't have therapy back when I probably should have, um, Finally, after I had, I was going to the doctor literally every week with some new symptom, like, you know, um, my legs hurt or my heart's beating so fast, or I've got a headache, or I, you know, I can't sit still, or I can't concentrate, or I can't breathe, or my stomach hurts really bad. And um, so finally, after, you know, many weekly visits, the doctor was like, you know, have you talked to anybody about, you know, your mom dying and you know, how it's impacted you. And I'm like, no, I don't really think I need to. And the doctor's like, no, you need to. Because what's happening is you're taking these, the anxiety of feeling like you're going to die and that you think that everything is, is every symptom is, is, is some sort of illness is the anxiety that you're feeling from unresolved issues and lack of closure and things like that. So why don't you give it a try? So I did. And so I was in therapy for probably four or five years, just going over everything that, um, that I, that happened and, you know, my, how things were going with my dad and, you know, my brother and, you know, how this just came on so suddenly and you don't get to say goodbye is, is, is very hard difficult because you just don't know and then you think things are going to be get better and then that person just dies and we were a family that you know you I knew my parents loved me I knew my mom loved me but we they were not very um verbose so they never said oh I love you I I love you and my mom is um her family is uh 
Swedish. So, you know, they kind of have this standoffish um, demeanor. So there was not a lot of hugging going on. And But I knew she loved me. And, you know, I felt it. There was that connection between us. So one, the one time that I saw her in the hospital, she said, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And that was the one and only time in my whole life that she ever said that she loved me. Even though I knew it, that was the one time that she, that she said it and that I heard it. So I, I cling to that um, memory often. Um, and it just is uh, amazing. Um, I've had, I've gone to um, a medium before too, to kind of connect with my mom. Um, this was probably about five or six years ago. And it was amazing. the The experience was amazing because I'm I've always searching for signs and a way to be connected to her. And um, so through this medium, he was able to connect with her. Some of the things that he said were just so spot on. It was just you know you and I know people have different you know beliefs about that kind of stuff. Um, but I found it to be so comforting because of what he was saying. He said that he could see my mom and he could, and he could, he was talking with her and he knew that she was so proud of me and that she said that I, he, he said that she thought I was a wonderful mother and that, um, that she is a guardian angel to my son and that um that she's always with me and um stuff i knew but i it was very cool hearing that um from the medium and um and when i came home from that he recorded it for me and i played it for my husband and my son and of course my son's never met my mom he's seen pictures obviously but never met her and he was going through um, a tough breakup at college and he was laying in bed one night and he said, and he told me this after the event happened, but he said, um, Grammy, if you're there, give me a sign. And he said he felt like a blanket come down and rest on top of him, like a, like a heavy, like weighted blanket. And he was just like blown away. So he like knew that she was there for him. So that that's one sign and he's, and, and that just gives me chills. And then my mom has never spoken to me. And I've, I've, I've dreamed about her, but, um, but I've heard other people say, well, my mom has spoken to me or I've had some sort of like, you know, spiritual experience and let's see, in 2001, my son is um, a Connecticut state trooper and he was at the training academy. And while he was at the training academy, he developed um, a, a cyst, a pilonatal cyst on the base of his um, tailbone. 
So while he was at the academy, it became infected. And he passed out and he, went, and he ended up going to the hospital. It turned out that he needed to have surgery himself. And so, of course, I'm like, I'm totally freaking out because, you know, this is someone I love in the hospital. And um, so, and when I first got to the hospital that night when he was admitted, they were doing all kinds of stuff because they weren't sure what was what had happened they didn't know where the cyst was and or they didn't know about the cyst he was presenting like he was dehydrated he was um emitting enzymes like he'd had a heart attack is like his um kidneys were like shutting down it was it was just a whole slew of things so he's some of his his numbers started to rebound and then once he started talking, he didn't, he wasn't talking for like two hours. And so finally, when he started talking again, he mentioned the pain, you know, um, on the bottom of his tailbone and they looked and saw that it, there was a cyst there that was actually necrotic at, by the time they looked at it. So he needed surgery. So on this particular Friday, he was scheduled to have surgery later in the day and it was COVID during those times. So visiting hours were cut really short. So I could only go visit him in the morning and then, then in the afternoon. So in the morning, they decided they were going to do the surgery and that I could come back at a little before the evening hours to see him go off for the surgery. So I went to um, a McDonald's parking lot and was watching, I don't know, some show on my phone while I was waiting because they wouldn't let me stay at the hospital. Um, and so he called and he says, mom, they're getting me ready for surgery now. Um, you can come back now. And I said, okay. So I got, I was driving back to the hospital and this was the weirdest experience, but my mom spoke to me as I'm driving back to the hospital. And she said, Amy, they're doing this to keep him safe. And the surgery, I'm guessing, because it was a very brief statement. And I'm like, my gosh, I was just totally like, freaked out. I couldn't, I mean, but I was also freaked out because he's having the surgery, but I, I, but she's never inserted herself into my life like that, um, before. And it was just such a blessing and just so I was just so emotional about it. And I didn't tell my son about it actually till after it, he had his surgery. Um, but I told my husband about it and it was, um, just amazing uh, to have that experience. So I truly know that she's there for me, for my son, um, and probably my husband too. But he he has his own parents, and you know they they live close to us. So um, which uh, is easy for him. He doesn't understand the loss, and I don't think a lot of people can understand that, that have their parents. Um, understand the gravity of losing your parents at a young age and what an, an important role your parents play in your life, um, no matter how old you are, whether you're in your early 20s like me, or you're even a young child, which would be, I think, so much more devastating because you're still in those formative years. Um, and I just remember continually being jealous of other girls with their moms, you know, and Mother's Day is coming up this weekend. And, you know, the focus is 
you know, now a, a little bit on me because, you know, I have my own child, but, you know, my mother-in-law has taken, <laughs> taken this as her own holiday. And um, so, uh, yeah, so I don't get to, to share that with my mom, which is really hard. Um, but I just, you know, girls saying, oh my God, my mom, she's driving me crazy. Or, you know, why does she say that? Or what is she, you know, I wish she would just leave me alone. I'm like, you have no idea, you know, what you're saying. Um, because without your mom, you are just lost. You don't have your compass. You don't have your person, you know, to me, my mom was my person. She, I could tell her anything. And she would, you know, and remain, and she would totally remain calm and she would just guide me and tell me what to do. And, um, and as I said, she was not very demonstrative with her emotions and how she felt about us, but she showed us love in different, in a different way, you know, through her food and through the things that she made and, and that kind of thing. And that is what is so hard is that you know, kids or people, you know, that complain about their mothers, you know, uh, being too involved in their lives or being too um, bothering them or call, wanting them to call more or, or, you know, whatever. I'm like, you don't know what you're missing until you're missing it. And it's just so sad it's just a sad, terrible loss to be in this club of, you know, women that have lost their mom and nobody wanted to be in this club. And here we are, we're in this club and it's, and it's not something you go out and advertise either, you know, oh, you know, my mom died and, you know, whatever. So you don't know what other people are going through and they don't know, you know, that you have lost your mom, but, um, but I just remember, you know, going back to college and, you know, all my friends and my roommates and girlfriends, you know, all still had their mom. And even now my closest friends, the girls that were in my wedding, all their moms are still alive. So, um, very, very elderly at this point, but they're, you know, they still have their moms. And, um, I just, remember being so envious of, of them and being able to do trips with their moms or go to lunch or, you know, go shopping or do any of those things because it's very lonely. That's what I feel a lot of. It's very, very lonely um, to have a weekend where there's nothing going on. And, you know, some girls can call their mom and say, hey, mom, let's go get a pedicure or a manicure or something like that. And I don't have anyone to call to do that with me. So it's, it's, you know, it's hard. And, um, and you could see even 30 something years later, it still chokes me up and it's, it just really just rips a piece of your heart out, um, to have to go through this. And it's very painful, but, and one, uh, I have one child and it took a long time for me to decide to, to have a kid because I was like, I do not want to put my own child through this. 
I, you know, you just, you have that fear that this could happen and you don't want your child to go through the same thing you went through. And so I was very hesitant to get pregnant and to have a child because I just was afraid that, you know, what if I died and my child was so young and I didn't want to leave him without a mother because it's, it's so, it's so hard, but my parenting has been the complete opposite of um, my mom's, not that her parenting style was bad. It was just the style that she knew. And I didn't intentionally say I'm going to be this kind of parent, but um, it's the parenting style that felt right for me. And um, I was a very um, attached parent. I think we had this sort of attachment parenting style where um, you know, I just was very, um, physical with my child. I hugged him all the time. I told him I love him constantly. Um, you know, I put him to bed and often fall asleep in his bed with him and, you know, wake up at two in the morning and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I fall asleep in here. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're very, we're very close. And, and so I think that that is my parenting style even to this day and I'm kind of now he my son has a girl a girlfriend that he's had for you know three years and I'm and he's 25 and I'm like I've got to kind of back up a little bit you know I can't be like you know that mom um and so uh I think that you know but I think that parenting style worked for us because it's made him a really independent and strong uh kid and he and he loves both of us my husband and myself you know very much um but I think back to my own childhood where and this was in the 70s where family life was so much different than it is today I mean kid your kid our kids are so much a part of what we're doing as adults when I was a kid my parents were like in the center and we were like running around on the outside. We had no idea what was going on with between my parents, what they were doing, what their plans were, what anything was, you know, we were just, we had no idea. And um, so we were just kind of like on the outside. And right now families are just so integrated together that, you know, the kids are part of a lot of conversations and, you know, what's going on and the planning of this and all of that. Whereas, back in the 70s and 80s, the kids were not, you know, um, not heard from really, you know, the parents did all the decision making and the talking and you found out about it later that, you know, you were going to have a babysitter and you were going to, you know, your parents were entertaining downstairs and you were going to go upstairs and you were not going to sit, you know, make a peep. And, you know, so it's a whole different style now. Um, so, uh, but I, I do remember I do recognize the the difference in parenting styles just from then to now and how it's how it's um so different um she loved my dad who you know I didn't really know as well because he was kind of like on the periphery and so um but they had a, a good marriage they loved each other fiercely and they were married for almost 25 years um, when she passed away. So, 
Yeah. So she was just a, a great person. The loss was just hard for everybody. I still think about her every day and oh, what I would give for just five minutes, an hour, a half hour, just to, to have her back. Wow. Uh, and your mom's name is Jane, right? It is Jane. Yeah. 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 I just always like to, to say their name also. Um, so I'm interested in your, your therapy experience, if you're comfortable talking about that. Um, if, um, because you did have a compounded grief and complex grief, and then the things with your dad remarrying and, you know, saying, saying things to you that he said, um, was there any sort of like, so for anybody who's listening, who's thinking, you know, this, this sounds familiar. And then, and then the anxiety then manifesting itself in your body. There's this great book called The Body Keeps the Score. Yes, I know it. Yeah, um, because we do. We hold, if, if we don't release all those things, it's so subconscious. It's so crazy that the body holds on to all of that. I still um, believe and- I'm holding on to it even 32 years later. I still have like, was there any part of the of the therapy that you thought was like the most helpful or that was most beneficial or any like things that you would share with the listeners? Yeah, I think the one thing that the ther- that it took a lot of time for me to um, get th- or that I got from the therapy was the therapist said to me, "You can't expect your father to do something he's not capable of doing." So I had these expectations that he was going to just jump in there and he was just going to do everything that she did. And he was going to do everything that everything the way she did it and, you know, be there the way she was. And and I was I was mad about it. And I'm like, why? What is wrong with him? And and, you know, my therapist was just like, you're expecting him to do something that he's just not capable of. He was never in that role for you. So why would you think that he would do that? Because he's, he can't, he doesn't know what to do. You can't expect him to do that. He can't do it. And it's true. And it took me so long to realize, and that was like a big light bulb moment for me. Like, yes, okay. Now I see that I've just got to let go of that because I kept saying, thinking to myself, what are you doing, man? You are, you're supposed to like be here helping us do, do all the things she did, do, do it all, make it good, you know? And the therapist was like, how is he going to do that? He doesn't know how to do that. So you have to stop expecting him to do that. That's not fair to him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was a big that was a big aha moment for me. Um, and, and also the fact that I had to stop thinking that this was going to happen to me too. Mm. Um, this was a traumatic event that happened. There was, you know, uh, from what the doctor said, my mom had that aneurysm all her life and that it just, just, went that particular when she was 40 years old. Hmm. Um, 
a beautiful thing that came out of it is that my mom was able to make donation of um, organs, which was so nice um, that my dad even thought of that in his grief at the time, which was amazing. Um, so that was nice. And I, I often toy with the idea of, you know, seeing if I can get information on the people that, you know, that her organs were donated to and see, you know, how those people are doing. Um, yeah. And, you know, something I still struggle with is, you know, my dad, you know, and my husband and I have had this conversation recently about my dad. And, and, and as I said before, I feel like he died when she died because he was never the same again. And then, you know, he did some hurtful things and, you know, my brother has seemed to have forgiven him because my brother's very easy to, to talk about my dad. And, you know, he's, he's, he did this and he did that. And, and I, I never want to talk about my dad or um, anything about that. And my husband's like, you have to forgive him. You have to forgive him. He, he, you know, he was struggling too. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, he was, he was definitely struggling too, but you know, I don't know that I would ever say to my child, I'm going to choose this stranger over you, my own blood, you know, that was, that was hurtful. And, um, I mean, I would never say that, but, you know, in his, his life experience, you know, he went from being cared for by one, you know, nurturing person to another, to another, to another. And so he didn't know how to, you know, be on his own, but yet, uh, you know, the first person that comes along, and I remember having this conversation with him before they got married. I said, dad, this is the first woman that has shown interest in you. She brought you a lasagna and now you're getting married. I said, you know, I think you should take a little time, you know, and I don't know that she's, and she was the complete opposite of my mom, full makeup, long red nails. I mean, you know, completely opposite. And I mean, and she didn't want him to have any communication with us or, Mm. uh, which is so odd. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you don't have a relationship with her. No, no. After my mom died and we got all the, you know, probate stuff worked out. Um, no, I don't even know where she's living. Right. Right. Hmm. So you mentioned your brother earlier uh, when you talked about, you know, that he was completely closed off and uh, because of, you know, the brain and in the midst of his teenage years with your mom and that he doesn't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. Um, but interesting, you just said you don't want to talk about your dad. That That's true. You I mean, I, I mean, I will, I will talk about him, but my, I think my lack of not wanting to talk about it is just from anger. I, I think I'm angry still. And that's something that I have got to like, and that's what my husband said. And this was just recently that, you know, I've got to get over that. Like I, I got over the expectation of him filling in for my mom, but I still, you know, my husband's like, you're Amy, your, your dad has passed away. He's gone. I mean, why are you still fighting it? Why are you still fighting the fact 
that, you know, he did this or he said that, or, you know, why won't you cut him any slack? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. And I, you know, I'm all mad about it, you know? And, um, and I think for my brother, I think it's just too painful. You know, he's just, it, it hurts him too much. I mean, I can, I can, I can talk about it if I want to, but he's just too, he's just too hurt. And, and he himself had a lot of same kind of stress, emotional things. I mean, he would call me and be very um, anxious and upset. So fortunately we were not anxious and upset at the same time. So that when he called me, I was okay. And when I called him, he was okay. So it was tough going for us, you know, for a while there. Um, but we're okay now. I mean, we're okay as we can be, you know, we're both yeah. parents and, um, you know, are married and, um, you know, but we, we miss our, we miss our mom and, you know, you're, you never know when your life is going to take a turn, you know, mm -hmm. you're just kind of plugging along. And then all of a sudden, you know, something happens like that. And, you know, it changes your course for the whole rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's really unexpected. Yeah. And that's another part of the, the grieving is that you're grieving the life that you anticipated you were going to have that's no longer available to you. Um, do you think you'll tell your brother about this podcast? Like, do you think he'll listen? Um, I, I hope he will. I think I will tell him about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It might open up a conversation between the two of you. Yeah. You know, because I think as we get older too, we and we have families of our own, we also realize the importance of the connection. Unfortunately, in, in your scenario, it's a trauma bond, you know, what you both went through at the same time. But I know for me, as I got older, I became just more aware of how important those relationships are. So, yeah. My brother actually said something to me. Uh, his birthday was April 19th. And I had called him on his birthday. And I said, um, well, I hope you, you get a cake tonight or Maria, his wife. I said, I hope Maria makes you a cake tonight. And he goes, well, if I get a cake, it's not going to be as good as mom's. And that's like the first time he ever said anything like that to me. Cause my mom made homemade everything. And, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, homemade from scratch, the cake, not from a box, like I would do, um, mm -hmm. and homemade buttercream frosting, you know, the whole, the whole shebang and, mm -hmm. you know, and we would, you know, be upset if we didn't get a homemade cake. Cause one year my parents were very busy with, um, a project they were working on for their business. And my mom didn't have time to make a cake. And she got me a Pepperidge farm frozen cake. And I literally burst out crying. I was like, come on. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> oh. Well, Amy, um, I usually wrap up the podcast if there's a final thought or something that you would want to share before we say goodbye. And if you don't have something, that's fine. But see if there's anything else you'd like to say. I think now that we have, you know, the internet and, you know, groups and Facebook or, you know, Instagram and groups like the one that you formed on, uh, I think it's important for women, girls to find a connection, a support. When I was going through this, I was completely alone. And, um, I just stumbled upon your Instagram page. I don't even know how. 
and then the podcasts. And I was just like, oh my gosh, where, oh, I wish I had had this like 30 something years ago, you know, but obviously technology was not what it was and mm-hmm. or is rather, um, but find some support, you know, net, de- definitely now that there's, you know, um, technology that you can find as someone t- to that's sort of in the same situation as you. And that always is comforting to find someone that's sort of walked in the same shoes you have. And, you, you know, they might not be exactly the same, but, you know, you, you share the same kind of loss and your stories might be different, but you have the same sort of feelings and, um, and they're valid. And it's, it's, it's nice to be able to share it with someone that who truly understands it, who is, who has lost someone too, and they know exactly how you feel. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what I would say to someone who has just lost someone, their mom, or even if you're years down the road and you still haven't found someone, try to find someone to talk to, um, or just connect with, um, mm-hmm. because you've lost someone that was extremely important in your life. And, you never can have too many friends and especially a friend who's lived a similar life experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. I totally agree. And the, the one thing I always say is like the grief griefstagram community is so accepting. And, you know, if listening to podcast isn't your thing, there's people who do art, there's people who share written stories. Like there is definitely an abundance of um, ways to connect out there now. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Well, Amy, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story. Thank you for allowing me to share my story. It's not often that I tell people about it, or if I do, I've already, it's the same people who've heard it over and over again. So um, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.